grieving. Some families will be lost to one another forever. To those of you who face the difficulties of reconnecting with family and establishing ongoing relationships, we say sorry. We offer this apology in the hope that it will assist your healing and in order to shine a light on a dark period of our nation's history. To those who have fought for the truth to be heard, we hear you now. You're listening to Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption. I'm one of your hosts, Joe Sparrow. This podcast is a production of Jigsaw Queensland Post-Adoption Support Service. However, the views expressed are those of the people participating, not necessarily Jigsaw Queensland. The podcast discusses adult themes and listener discretion is advised. Hi, it's Joe here. 2021 marks 30 years since the 1991 amendments to Queensland's 1964 Adoption of Children Act. The 1991 amendment, entitled Adopted People and Their Biological Parents to Receive Identifying Information About One Another, unless the other party had lodged an objection. While preparing for this episode, I dove back in time with fellow Jigsaw Queensland committee member Lois Book And we read Jigsaw's archive minutes and newsletters from this period. And I spent a full day at the State Library pouring through media clippings from the period. What crystallised for us as we reviewed them was how hard fought for these reforms were by mothers, fathers and adopted people. And how close they came to losing all of that ground at the 11th hour when a hastily formed Adoption Privacy Protection Group, APPG, launched a campaign to maintain closed records. Today we're speaking with former Queensland MP Anne Warner, who championed and sponsored the 1991 amendments. Anne was elected to the Legislative Assembly of Queensland for Kurilpa in 1983 and for South Brisbane in 1986. She was the Minister for Family Services and Minister for Aboriginal and Islander Affairs in the Labor Party government of Wayne Goss from 1989 until her retirement in 1995, making her the first Labor Party female member to hold a ministerial portfolio. Throughout her political career, she encouraged policy change in social justice areas, including child protection, juvenile justice, domestic violence and Aboriginal affairs. Just days before recording, I lost my voice and a voice is helpful when interviewing guests and you might be able to hear it still not come back right. So Lois stepped in for me at the last moment and conducted the interview. Thank you so much, Lois. I don't know what I would have done without you. We also videoed Anne's responses and you can find the interview, media clippings and the original No More Secrets booklet on the Jigsaw Queensland website under the News and Events tab on a page called 1991 30-Year Anniversary. And after the upcoming Victoria Bridge Anniversary light-up on the 1st of June, we'll also include some photos and personal reflections there as well. Now to Lois and Anne. Thank you so much for joining us today, Anne. Um, In 1991, I benefited directly from the amendments and in a matter of months of them having been passed, I also um, obtained identifying information about my mother. 
um, I believe my adoption experience would have been much uh, tougher to navigate if not for the work that you and your colleagues did in 1991. Um, I've heard a little bit about your early life and it occurred to me that the reason you were eventually drawn to sponsor uh, the amendments might have been influenced by your own childhood, which was at times challenging. Uh, would you like to share a little bit of that, of your yeah, story well, with us? I, I found that uh, comment interesting because I hadn't considered that my early childhood had anything to do with my very rational decisions mm -hmm. about the adoption uh, legislation. But on reflection and certainly after uh, considering my early childhood and what I was going to say about it, um, I was, I was born in India mm -hmm. in 1945, and my mother took me to England in 1947, um, leaving my father behind because he had thrombosis and was mm. ill. And the idea was that she would set up in England and he would come over later and get the benefit of the national health system, which had been introduced by that stage. So she and I arrived in England when I was three, mm -hmm. and... Similarly to a permanent winter, um, my mother always complained about the weather in England. It was just mm. awful for her coming from sunny India. And it was post-war, so there was rationing. There were shortages. Mm. There was a housing shortage, a food shortage, every kind of shortage you could think of. And mum was a teacher, but they didn't recognise her qualifications. Uh, she went to Calcutta University until 1954 which was a long time after 49, which is when we went. And so those early years were very rough for, mm -hmm. for mum. We lived on a shoestring. We lived in um, what in England we call bed sitters, which are basically a room in a house where you shared bathroom and sometimes kitchen facilities. And um, basically you were confined to the room. Mm -hmm. And they were usually in the poorer parts of town because that's all we could afford. Mm. And it's, it's all pretty grim, really. Um, and so I knew poverty and I knew isolation as a result of racism. Mm -hmm. I knew um, uh, my mother's vulnerability and her struggle. And um, I was very much part of that struggle, though I was a child and, and had the benefit of her care and attention at the time. But it occurred to me that the idea, and she and I were, possibly often on the verge of being separated because of her uh, fragile circumstances, mm -hmm. that had that happened, I don't think I would have recovered from that. Um, and so the idea of a separation between my mother and myself was absolutely unthinkable. Mm -hmm. And so I understood exactly what it would feel like for a mother relinquishing her baby. Um, because I've also had children myself and mm -hmm. so sympathise greatly with that uh, emotional deprivation. Well, moving further along to your time here in Australia, tell me about when you first came to hear about the calls for amendments to the 1964 Adoption of Children's Act in Queensland. Well, I, I was um, a local member um, for the seat of South Brisbane and I, was, uh, I had a, a message to... Uh, have a meeting with a woman, I think her name was Faye, and she was from Jigsaw. Mm -hmm. And she came to see me and um, told me her story, which was that, you know, she wanted to, I think it was her son, I can't really remember, but I think it was her son, who um, 
and she had had to give up for a forced to give up for adoption and she described those circumstances to me which are horrendous and she told me that really all she wanted to know was whether he was alive or not mm-hmm. that's all she wanted to know and she was prevented from doing that because the legislation locked that information behind the secret walls mm-hmm. of the state government and that that should be changed and i was profoundly affected by her story mm-hmm. and sympathized with it greatly and i came out from that meeting with her to talk to some of the my colleagues who were in the uh, from the party who were doing some work in my office and there were four of them and one of them said that she was adopted mm. another one said she didn't find out that she was adopted until her parents died mm-hmm. and there was uh, no issue written on the death certificate mm-hmm. another one said that she had given up a baby girl in 1972 just a year or so before Gough Whitlam introduced the single parents mm-hmm. pension and she kicked herself for that i subsequently heard that she did find her her daughter mm-hmm. who was doing extremely well and that was a very happy reunion and another person who belonged to the communist party uh, well her parents did and they used to pass children around from one family to another but in a comradely fashion and she was near where her parents were mm-hmm. so there wasn't that separation it was just a social uh, but mm-hmm. so it it just occurred to but she also made that contribution in the context of a sort of semi adoption if you like a separation um and I, that's four out of four mm-hmm. in a randomized group that knew nothing of who i was meeting in in the office and i thought well, it must have had an incredible powerful effect on large numbers of people and so that was the the context in which i first heard or considered the issues around adoption law reform when you stepped into your ministerial role what was the prompter to sponsor these amendments um well i was reflecting on it and i i have spoken to the director general of the time and basically we had a list the department gave us a list of all those issues that they had been waiting patiently to change mm-hmm. <laughs> over many years remember we took government in 1989 after 32 years yep <laughs> of conservative government in queensland and it wasn't just any old conservative government it was a really reactionary one mm-hmm. that really sat on any kind of social lightning mm-hmm. of of the situation we were all supposed to be you know working on the farm or something you know didn't really take much notice of cities and so we were in that context and we had been struggling for years 32 years well not me personally but i'd been working probably for the previous 15 years since i came from england uh, around political issues in queensland you know street marches demonstrations etc etc um women's rights human rights aboriginal rights mm-hmm. a whole range of things the department meanwhile had had a list of a whole range of issues that required reform there hadn't been any legislative reform in the area of juvenile justice in the area of child protection and certainly in the area of of adoption for years and years and years so that that was the list we got and adoption was on that list because it was because people were applying to the department for information about their birth 
relatives and not getting it. Mm-hmm. And so the prevailing um, social work thinking at the time was that it was best to undo the secrecy for mm-hmm. the safety and well-being of the current generation mm-hmm. of, of people who needed to know these secrets that had no business being locked up in the state, um, that it was a human right, and I recognised that, and as did the department. And the other thing that you have to... Um, the, the times were really quite exceptional, that 89 period to 90 period where we were looking for things to do, and you may recall, you probably don't, but um, <laughs> that at the time... There was a list as long as your arm, not just in my portfolio, but in every portfolio of things to do. And Wayne Goss, who was a very cautious individual in many ways, said, um, go have a rest and have a cold shower and told the cabinets to stop rushing any Mm -hmm. changes because he was scared that there would be uh, mistakes made as a result of haste. Mm -hmm. So that was very difficult to, what do you mean? stop now. We've been working so hard, we want to carry on, you know. But similarly, the department, the bureaucracy and family services was pretty on side. There was an orthodoxy within social work coming out of the university. Most of those people were trained um, social work uh, practitioners. And indeed, Ruth Matchett, who was the director general, uh, was uh, was a particularly sound choice. Um, She'd been working in the department for 15 years. She knew most of the issues backwards. She knew most of the solutions, none of which had been implemented. And Mm. so there there was a happy mix of energy within the department to get things done. And funnily enough, just over the weekend, I went to a party, somebody's birthday party, and there was a guy there who used to work in the department and he was, he was so delightful. He came rushing up and said, oh, it was so wonderful to be there at that time when we were doing things. <laughs> so there was that energy and that optimism that we could change people's circumstances mm-hmm. for the better. It's incredible. <laughs> at the time, uh, in 1991, these reforms had occurred in every other jurisdiction yes. apart from Queensland. Mm-hmm. Why do you think we were so slow to make these changes? Well, as I said before, it it was basically because we'd had a conservative government for so long that Mm -hmm. their business was never to change anything, perhaps (laughs) not even their socks, I don't know. Yeah. So what's the process when writing amendments such as these? How did you go about doing that? Well, ministers don't do that. Mm -hmm. Ministers make the policy decisions about the way forward. You have meetings Mm -hmm. and people take notes and then they go away and write up the legislate, write the amendments up and then those amendments go to the parliamentary, uh, I've forgotten the name of the man who did the, the changes to legislation but there was a particular person who was responsible for the, uh, uh, the particular group within the government who were responsible for legislative reform. We actually had to change the language of the legislation as well to meet modern standards. Yeah. So, so, so there's a whole mm-hmm. bureaucracy that is dedicated to those changes. And as I said, there was an energy and an enthusiasm to get things done. So we got what we thought was the state-of-the-art um, legislation up, not just from the information that we received from our constituents within Queensland, but also looking at international and and other national um, jurisdictions where changes had already occurred Mm -hmm. to meet 
those new understandings of what adoption meant and the difficulties and pain that had been a cause to a large number of people as a result mm-hmm. of that uh, practice, that very um, extensive practice that uh, had happened in, in our, my lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, was, uh, it was also I, I knew girls at school who, who had kept their children and we were very supportive of those mm-hmm. Uh, you know, those of my generation in the 1960s who were able to keep their, this is in England, who were mm-hmm. able to keep their children because there was a pension and mm-hmm. there was support. That was something I was interested in earlier too. Mm-hmm. So the UK was ahead a little bit on that matter. Yes, on I that guess. matter they were, but perhaps mm-hmm. not on the, oh, I don't know, the theory of feminism perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, understood. At the time you first introduced the amendments, they had bipartisan support in the Cabinet. It really looked like things were going through without any problems. And then at the 11th hour, the Adoption Privacy Protection Group formed to advocate to maintain closed records. What do you remember about that time? I remember it vividly. Yeah. Um, I remember that they came out of the blue because we had introduced the legislation a year previously that it was about to be actually implemented. Mm-hmm. Um, because we'd had to have a year leading up to these changes to get everybody used to them and to have discussions with people about what it might mean for them personally and for the department to go out and consult with with groups and individuals about the impact that the changes might make on their lives. So that's why we had that very long a year period of, of leading to the changes in the legislation. And just prior to those changes being implemented, this new group mm-hmm. run by a woman who enigmatically called herself Mary Smith burst onto the scene and was quite virulent in her attack on the legislation changes. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the office uh, was absolutely deluged. She got some publicity. Not, it hadn't happened before. And everybody was looking at worst-case scenarios of, you know, women being hounded by you know, aggressive adoptees who wanted to change their lives mm-hmm. dramatically and out, out them as, as, as bad mothers or whatever. And everybody had these fears or th- those fears were articulated in the media. And, of course, the media loved that kind of thing. And I remember I, uh, I was in and they were, I, I was prepared to go ahead because I realised that it was just, it was media beat up. It was, you know, a complete media beat up and engineered by the Murdoch Press mm-hmm. in Queensland, the Courier-Mail, um, that uh, produced this, this furore of uh, opposition to the legislation. And I remember being in Melbourne in an airport and they talked about, you know, these dreadful occasions where people would be confronted by their long-lost children and there on the television was this woman and her son looking exactly alike, sounding exactly alike. Mm -hmm. Um, And what had happened was he had put in, um, he had found her, and this is before the legislation came about, he had found her and she had welcomed him into the home and she had another daughter and then she went on holiday for three months leaving the two two children alone in the flat where, of course, they fought. And so when she came back, she had to take sides between one and the other. She chose the daughter and threw the son out and he was absolutely distraught, you know, second time, rejection for the second time. 
So, of course, Jan Event filmed mm. their argument and it was vicious and nasty and, you know, confirmed everybody's fears about what could happen and under the worst possible circumstances, not recognising that these were the exception and not the rule. And that, mm. the, that you know, in any case, they, they sorted themselves out in the, eventually. Mm-hmm. But there was that period where it was very touch and go and the office was inundated and the staff were going bananas, answering the phone every five minutes to to people. And um, and finally, the, um, the editorial, um, I think somebody from the edit- editorial section of the Courier Mail got onto the Premier and said, that he wanted it changed. I'd had some discussions with some members of the Labour Party who were adoptive parents, and but after a little discussion, they were quite happy. You know, they said, yeah, yeah, that's all right. This this, this can happen. It's not going to happen until the children are 18 anyway. And, you know, it's, it's not a, it's not, wasn't an issue. Um, so everybody that I spoke to personally, but there were some members of parliament who were being lobbied by individual mm. adoptive parents who were very fearful. And um, it was, and meanwhile, I mean, Jigsaw, who I was still in touch with, were, you know, trying to do their best to put the other side of the argument. And, but were full of, um, I think, uh, fears that, there was, in fact, a very concerted, um, organised attempt mm. to derail the legislation for ulterior motives, which they sort of thought might be something along the lines of that the adoption processes of the past were never always squeaky, and that if you matched up children with their adoptive parents or they couldn't find any evidence of adoption within the state records that it would uncover illegal adoptions mm. for which which had perhaps been uh, supported and perpetrated by so-called helpful organisations that ran young unmarried mothers' homes. And there was also a suspicion that maybe some children were being exchanged for money, some babies mm. were being exchanged for money. There was a lot of fear that there was a concerted effort by a group of conservative people who had been hitherto quiet but suddenly realised that they might be in danger of being exposed. I know Joe and I, our generation, we were paying attention in the early 90s and negative stories, I think, undermined yes, a lot of adopt- adoptees, thought, you know, yeah. what they were feeling about whether they were doing the right thing or not. So well, I, I think really, I, th- I thank you so much for seeing through the media. Oh, well, they were always very transparent. <laughs> um, and also going doing this project with Joe, looking at um, the jigsaw records from 30 years ago, we could see the concerted effort they were making. They were mm. sending letters but mm. getting very little back in terms yeah. of media coverage. But, but to further my conspiratorial thoughts about the motives of the adoption, what, adoption privacy group, I had a meeting with them in my office um, at one stage to try and hose them down. And um, it was a very difficult meeting. And suddenly in the meeting, they turned on one of my members of staff Mm -hmm. and said, and are you the one in the office who's adopted? And she wasn't, Mm -hmm. but there was a member in my office who was adopted. And I'm thinking, how did they know that? Because that was not public knowledge. Mm -hmm. 
it was, it, it, you know, I knew. I don't think anybody, I don't think the person who they were accusing of being adopted knew. Um, and I, you just worry where, where that information came from. I mean, I thought we were the ones that were holding the secrets, not somebody else. Mm. Um, so that was sort of interesting. And it was just, it just highlighted the lengths to which they would go to try and derail that legislation. They would actually do personal research on members of my staff, mm-hmm. which is a bit, bit of a, a long bow, really. Mm-hmm. Just going before the legislation passed, you were eventually asked to go back and make some changes to the proposed amendments. So what were the compromises that you made and how did you feel about making them at the time? Well, I was angry. Mm-hmm. I, I, I thought we could ride it out. I mm-hmm. knew that it was a it was a media bubble and that it would go away and that it had been silent for 12 months and it had been generated very mm-hmm. quickly for whatever reason and that those reasons would disappear mm-hmm. pretty quickly if we left it alone. But um, Wayne Goss was of a different view and he said, oh, just change it, will you? Just give them a <laughs> veto and let's get on with life because he was being lobbied. Mm-hmm. And um, so unfortunately I, I didn't have the political strength to uh, resist his demands because he wouldn't have allowed the legislation to go through had I not changed it. So, But you got us moving in the right direction. I got the thing moving <laughs> in the right direction, but it was a blow. Yes. It was a blow and it, was, um, it wasn't the best legislation that should have been. We knew that it wasn't state-of-the-art. We wanted to be state-of-the-art. We wanted to put the footing um, of adoptees and, and their and their birth parents onto a better footing. I think we did, but, and and, and I think I, I've got some figures which show, which I'll, I'll show you later, but those figures which show that the numbers of objections just reduced dramatically over time. And some people who had objected initially removed those objections. And I'm pretty sure it's, an, it's virtually a non-event now in terms of yeah. the number of secrets that the department is still holding. Mm-hmm. as a result of, of those. It just petered out of its own accord. Yes. Um, of course, the issues... It's no are, longer an offence, I don't think. It's not an offence now. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, that's, that's helpful. <laughs> but um, it's uh, it, it still... It, it, it was an unnecessary uh, amendment to make to that mm-hmm. perfect legislation. And I, I was pretty angry personally about it, but the heat went off. I, I was really proud of that uh, that effort that we had made in that because it was such an emotional um, jigsaw mm-hmm. um, and such an, an emotional time that we had with with those issues and and the people involved and the people wanting change and I was pretty close to jigsaw in those mm-hmm. days and um, the minutes show a lot of gratitude towards you Anne. yeah and um, <laughs> because because I did feel very strongly on the subject. And um, no, I was pretty uh, pretty determined to to make some changes that were worthwhile making. So I did that, and um, it was uh, yeah regrets, but yeah. yeah. The first time you spoke to Joe, yeah. she mentioned to me that you said this legislation was some of the most proud of your time during your time in government. Any extra thoughts on yes, the um, impact? I don't know that it was. Um, that I was proud of myself so much, but I was struck by the number of people 
that came up to me in the shopping centres, on the streets, you know, wherever, cafes, and said, oh, look, I just wanted to thank you. We found our brother and it's wonderful. We're all back together again now, you know, or it, mm-hmm. so, I'm so pleased to have been able to locate my daughter and it, it filled a hole in my life or I'm so pleased to have found my mother. These were the comments that I was getting out in the public and it probably is the single piece of legislation where ordinary members of the public approached me in public in, in public spaces and said thank you. And that's what that's when I say I I had the best feedback on that piece of legislation. Yeah. Well, Anne, it has been a rare privilege okay. and an honour to speak to you today. Um, as an adoptee and as a member of the Jigsaw Committee, um, you and all the women and men who fought for these reforms um, have changed so many lives in Queensland and I remember reading the negative stories in the paper (laughs) and, um, you know, I was still able to meet my birth mother. Within six months I'd written to my birth mother in Melbourne. The 1st of January the next year I met her under the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Excellent. And, um, you know, she died young but thankful, thankfully to your um, legislative amendments and changes, I had that opportunity to meet her rather than trying to go looking for her yes. years later after a lot of effort, I would have missed yes. the opportunity to get yeah. to know her yeah. if well, I'd not met her so young. It so much to so many people, didn't it? Yeah. Um, and I guess on that note, I'll finish by saying thanks for staying the course okay. and doing everything in your power to give us the human right to discover our biological roots and the opportunity to connect with our relatives. Okay. Thanks for listening to the Adopt Perspective podcast. If you'd like to find out more, go to the podcast page on www.jigsawqueensland.com and you'll find a wealth of information and resources on the website. If you reside in Queensland, you can reach Jigsaw Queensland's Forced Adoption Support Service on toll-free 1800 210313 or you can call Jigsaw on 07 If you live in another state of Australia, you can still call the Forced Adoption Support Service number and your call will be answered by the Forced Adoption Support Service in the state that you're calling from. In every other state, Relationships Australia operates this service. A big thank you to Matt Sparrow for composing and recording our original theme music. Until next time, I'm Jo Sparrow saying farewell from Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption. Thank you.